0: Well, I invite you to turn with me in the Bible to Second Samuel chapter twenty-three. Second Samuel chapter twenty-three, coming in the home stretch, folks. Just uh, this Sunday and next Sunday to finish up our series. We started back, I think, at the beginning of March. It was uh, through Second Samuel. If you're just joining us, so there's plenty, plenty here to uh, to grab uh, hold of. As we turn to this passage in Second Samuel, we are looking today, as it describes right at the beginning. As some of the last words of David. Now, obviously, there's a little bit more going on in the life of David after this. So we can assume this was sort of a formal his last one of his last formal addresses that he made. Uh, But as we look at these verses, we're definitely hearing some of the last important things that that Sam that David had for us to say to hear in second Samuel. And as we listen to these words, as we, we hear them, it's just like when we're talking with somebody else and, and we perhaps have a few times in our lives had the opportunity to sort of know that we were hearing the last words or some of the last words of somebody that was speaking. And, and, and when we're in that situation or we think we might be in that situation, we really listen, don't we? We really engage. We're really careful to, to hear because we know those last words are important. Uh, Usually, usually important words for us as we read these words. Then today, look for three themes. We're just going to read the first five verses, so they should be pretty clear. But three themes, Uh, one, a a ruler that that God has raised up to rule justly, uh, to speak truthfully, to be motivated by truth and to walk in the covenant promises and the strength of the covenant promises of God. Those three things and and these uh, last some of the last formal words of King David. Read along with me silently as I read aloud, 2nd Samuel chapter 23 verses 1 through 5. Now these are the last words of David. The oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. The spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like the rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. For does not my house stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered all things and secure. For will he not cause to prosper all my help? And my desire. Let's pray together again. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, though all of us are like grass, all our glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades. It was true of David. It's true and will be true of each one of us. Uh, Your word stands forever. And we ask that you would minister to us through it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, famous last words are interesting, aren't they? Sic semper tyrannis. Thus always to tyrants was that shout of John Wilkes Booth right before he himself would die shortly after. Pardon me, sir, was the utterance of Marie Antoinette after stepping on her executioner's foot. Harriet Tubman, at her passing in 1913, gathered a bunch of others around. She wasn't by herself for her last words and sung together, swing low, sweet chariot. Da Vinci reportedly on his deathbed said this. I've offended God. And humanity, because my work was not as good as it could have been. Bring me a bulletproof vest. Murderer James Rogers said as he prepared to go in front of the firing squad at his Utah execution. Those were his last words. And one more basketball player Pistol Pete said, quote, I feel great in his later years. Right before he died in a pickup basketball game. (laughs) Oh, last words. Last words. They can be tough, can't they? And they can also be refreshing. They're refreshing in the case of King David. Because he speaks to us, uh, God's words for us today. And he speaks to us particularly about this central role. This central role of God. In the life of the king. And in so doing he points ahead. He doesn't just tell us about his life. Although that's important to read and hear. But he points forward. To one who would come. King Jesus. The king of kings. And the lord of lords. Who would come and in the same and similar fashion that David did. Rule justly. Raised up by God. Would also speak truth and be propelled by truth. Truth. And who would live out the covenant promises of God. And so as we look at our verses today, there's at least this main idea that we can take from our passage. And you can find, I think, in the sermon notes section at the end of your worship guide, this, uh, these notes. That since the last words of someone can be powerful, we should learn from one of the final statements of the king of God's people You know, we've been on a journey, really, when you think about it, Uh, going back to last year when we uh, walked through 1 Samuel and then into this year going through uh, 2 Samuel, where we've really walked alongside and seen a lot of the life of David. So I don't know if you feel this way, but if you've been uh, here, at least with some kind of regularity, we've kind of gotten to know this person, King David. He's somebody that's sort of uh, close to us in that way. We're familiar with this person. And so we want to listen to, to his words for that reason. And then, as I said already, we, we want to listen to his words because of what they tell us, not just about him and how they apply to our lives today, but how they tell us about Jesus and how Jesus' work applies to our lives today. So, as we walk through these verses, uh, they, they're definitely relevant. The themes here are relevant leadership, truth, covenant keeping. Uh, take, our, take our national political situation. Let's just dive right into it, right? It's been on our mind and in our conversations, probably. And I won't pretend to weigh in on any of the candidates uh, in, that, in that manner, at least not from the pulpit. But, boy, are we reminded as folks uh, of various perspectives and attitudes say, wow, is there, any, is there any good option? Do we have any good option, people are saying today? And it's a reminder for us because you can kind of say that in any year because here's the facts. We're all made with feet of clay. And there's only one perfect leader, King Jesus. He's the only perfect leader. We've seen that in the life of David. We see that coming into our passage today, that even David, as one raised up by God, that God brought about for this purpose, we know that he had many flaws. It's a reminder for us to look to Jesus for leadership, ultimate leadership. And we can take comfort in the fact that God hasn't left you or me without somebody to lead us. Right? Whatever happens politically, different things make me nervous. They get me anxious. I don't know about you. Whatever direction you, you you think about some of these matters, they get me nervous. And then I have to come back and remember, you know what? King Jesus is still ruling on his throne. And praise God by his grace, he's ruling in my life and I trust in your life as well. And that's... That's something we can bank on. Leadership. Truth. You know, it's interesting, again, in this uh, political climate that we're in, when folks get done with these uh, speeches, wherever they're speaking, whatever event, there was a convention last week, there'll be another convention this week. By the time the reporters can even get to the microphone, there's already something going on behind the scenes. You know what I'm talking about. The fact checker. Right? There's somebody to check the facts of the speech. And then, of course, if you follow it up a little bit later and you turn to another channel or turn to another website, the fact checker is going to check the fact checker. And then there'll be another fact checker that's going to check that fact checker. You understand? So there's bias in all of this stuff and everybody's looking for truth. And I'm not saying those are bad things we need to hear. We need to understand what's true in our world. But ultimately, what God reveals to us in his word, that's what's true. David tells us, we're going to see a little bit more as we look at these verses, that he's speaking forth God's truth. He's operating from God's truth. We have a great need for God's truth in our world today. And then lastly, we see that David is celebrating the fact that he's in this covenant relationship with God. Now, covenant's kind of one of those big, sort of churchy words, I guess, but it just, re- it really just means promise. It's kind of a special promise, but you get the idea. It means a promise that's made and, and hopefully kept. And again, look at our world around us. We know in our own selves our inability. Even if we're trying to keep the promises we make and do the things that we say we are going to do in our lives, as limited human beings, we can't fulfill all of those things, even if we want to. And as we hear speeches and political messages and whatnot, we can get fired up about them. But if we sit back and you know, realize there's no way they're going to be able to keep all of that, whatever their perspective, whatever direction they're coming from, only God keeps his promises perfectly. And those promises can be perfectly banked on. So these are relevant verses today as we think about uh, King David as a leader and as we think about uh, Jesus leading us as well. Uh, may, maybe the political realm is a little bit f- far removed from some of us, or we, maybe we don't want to want to hear all that necessarily. Uh, a lot of us have, have a role, other roles, though, where God's actually using us in, in leadership, and these verses are interesting for that, isn't it? Aren't they? Uh, many of us are in some kind of capacity leading others in the workplace, have a team of folks that we're involved in coordinating. Uh, Many of us lead a a family that God's uh, put us to to lead. And these verses are a reminder, again, of this fact that, you know, God's the one that actually puts us in those places. He's the one that allows us those opportunities. David sees that, that the uh, ideal way for us to lead is to lead from God's truth, to have God's truth be the bedrock of however we lead. And that ultimately uh, we, we bank on God's promises to do His work through us. Uh, we can only do it in His strength. It's interesting when you think about leadership on the home front in particular. I found this week, and, and you guys know if you are on Facebook and are, are friends with me. You uh, it would, will tolerate my friend, Facebook friendship that I, I'm a little bit too much into these Babylon B posts, probably the satirical Christian posts. I don't know if they've been around for five years and I've just delightfully discovered them or if they just came about. But uh, this was one thinking about leadership and even leadership on the home front. For some of us, this kind of pokes fun at at men. But we'll, we'll go ahead and go there uh, today. They had one. These are satirical newspaper posts, right? That means they're not real, folks. They're meant to be funny. Now, this one is titled this. It says, Complementarian Man Abandons Firmly Held Beliefs at Sight of Big Scary Spider. And it has a guy kind of holding his hand over his face like this, like he's scared of a spider. All right, and then it explains to us what this is all about. Joplin, Missouri, a local complementarian man tells us what that means, who firmly believes and often espouses that it's his job to protect his family and love them like Christ loves the church, which is something I believe in. I hope, you know, you you men here as well recognize as biblical. Uh, This gentleman made an exception to his role of leadership Wednesday morning as a, quote, big scary spider was spotted under the bathroom sink. Sources confirm the man identified as 44-year-old Ivan Rogers immediately abandoned his deep-seated beliefs And asked his wife, Judy, to take care of the horrifying creature while he hid in the other room. Upon spotting the intimidating spider, later found to be an ordinary household variety, Rogers reportedly shrieked and sprinted into the living room, begging his wife to kill it for him. And he quotes, I don't apologize for my traditional understanding of the unique roles of men and women in the home and the church, Rogers said. Quote, But who, boy, that spider was massive. I'm just really blessed to have a wife like Judy who's willing to protect me when I abandon my principles at the first sight of adversity. <laughs> End quote. While Rogers told reporters that his departure from complementarianism is a one-time, was a one-time thing, Judy claims he quickly, be, he quickly betrays his convictions on all sorts of occasions, including when there's work to be done around the house, there's a strange noise at night, and when it's time to lead family devotions. A leadership, recognizing where our leadership comes from, that God puts us in the places that he puts us in. A leading from truth, from a foundation of truth, and leading in a way that relies on the covenant promises of God. What does this passage say about those matters? Well, take a look with me back at the first couple of verses for, uh, for just a few moments. We don't have a lot of time, but we'll, we'll take a few moments to look at it. It says that this is an oracle of David, the son of Jesse, which is interesting because it reminds us of who he is just in his in his normal everyday humanity. Right. He's just a a person. He's a son of somebody else who God chose to raise up and use for this particular purpose. So that's who he is sort of first and foremost. He's a son of Jesse. But then it tells us he's a man who was raised on high. Goes on and tells us that he was anointed of the God of Jacob. So God is doing a work through David. He is not a self-made man. His capacity, his position, the roles, the places God has put him in that come from God and not from him. And so the first question for us today is, do we believe that about where we are in life? Because that can really change things. It, It can change how we view what we should do. In the situations, God's places, it can also change the sort of confidence that we have, even when things around us seem to be falling apart to say, I I believe and trust that God's using me in this place. Do we believe that today? The second thing we see, just highlighting these points I've already mentioned, it says in verse two, the spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. Now, you and I can't say that in the same way that King David did. He was used in an inspired way to speak portions of Scripture, many of the Psalms and so forth, and other utterances that we read throughout, uh, throughout the Scriptures. But we can say this, that inasmuch as you and I have access to, to this to this book, to God's Word, and our Lord willing, spending time at church, not just to sort of punch the clock here, but to really hear and grow in God's Word, and in Sunday school settings, and in small groups, and on our own reading through the Scriptures, we're we're becoming people that are infused, Lord willing, with the Word of God, that are shaped by the Word of God. David said that was a centerpiece of who he was, of who he was. And so the question for us today is, Is that true of you and me? Is God's word a centerpiece of who we are and how we seek to lead our lives? Challenging. Challenging to see David. We know David didn't live that out perfectly either. So we're not saying you've got to live it perfectly to have it be a centerpiece. But for David, it was a centerpiece. And then he goes on and he describes the blessing that comes when... God, when a leader is raised up by God and ministers from the truth of God's word, it's like this dawn, uh, like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloud this morning, like rain that makes the grass to sprout from the earth. It's refreshing. It's a blessing. It's nurturing to those around us in our family, in our community, in our workplace. And then lastly, in verse five, you see it, as I mentioned earlier, he, he's, he's recognizing that the covenant promises... Are the bedrock of of who he is. Of what God has done in, in him. That God has made commitments to him. If, if it's a little bit amorphous for you. A little hard to grab hold of. The promise is just salvation. Right? The fact that God sent his son to die for you and for me. That's a covenant promise. That we can grab hold of through faith in him. That's a covenant relationship that God's offered to have with us. Again, I ask us. Is that... Is that the bedrock? Is that a centerpiece of of who we are as God's people? So we see all of those things in David's life as just a a human being. But those things point us to something even grander, because. You know, I, I don't live up to any of those things. I forget all the time that God's put me in the place that he that he has me in. I forget to live my life and am not grounded in his truth the way that I should be. And I don't really bank on God's promises and live out of the, the reality of God's promises the way I should be. So what's you know, what's the hope for folks like like uh, me and perhaps you? Well, the second thing we see in these verses is this, that Jesus marvelously fulfills all of these things. Uh, for sake of time, we don't have, have uh, the, the, the time to, to read through all of these, but take a look back with me at Ephesians chapter 2. Let's start there and we'll read just a couple of passages and then maybe we can, can land the airplane for today. Ephesians chapter 2 is all the way at the back of the New Testament after Romans and so forth. Um, I won't try to read the whole chapter. Let's jump down with me. To verse 4. It has described our condition as being dead without Christ. And then it says in verse 4. So this is without Christ. We're actually dead spiritually. Verse 4. But God. That's a real pivotal verse in this this, uh, chapter. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even while we were dead in trespasses, did what? Made us alive together with Christ. And raised us up with Him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of the grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You and I, today... Have high standing if we put our trust in Christ. Whatever's going on in your life, however uh, miserable or discouraged we might feel at certain points, we have a high standing. Not because of anything about us, but because we've been raised up by God's grace and seated with Jesus. Just like David was anointed and raised up on high, Jesus has been raised up on high, and we can too beginning of the Gospels. You'll be familiar. We don't even need to turn there with several accounts when Jesus comes and John the Baptist is baptizing folks and Jesus comes to him and John says, I'm not even worthy to un- untie your shoes. And, and the spirit of God descends and God declares, you are my son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus is anointed in that way. He's baptized later on. Uh, the woman in Mark 14 comes to him and pours that expensive, uh, expensive, Uh, cream, I guess you would say, on Jesus anointing him. And people are complaining, why are you using all of that good stuff? You could sell that. You know, they were efficient people, kind of like me, uh, a little bit too frugal. They said, why are you using all that? Sell it and you could help out the poor. And Jesus says, well, uh, it'd be great for you to help out the poor as often as you can, but I'm only going to be with you a short while. He's anointed in that way for what he's going to do. We know, of course, that Jesus proclaims uh, God's word to us. But Psalm four, six is a passage I like that really uh, paints a beautiful picture uh, speaking ahead of time about what Jesus would do. Psalm four, verse six says there are many who say who will show us some good you ever feel like that many who will say who will show us some good. Where's something good in this world? Where's something good we can delight in? And it says at the end of verse 6, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. When Jesus shines the light of his face on us, it's a great blessing. And then Hebrews 8 and 10, maybe we'll talk about those at the Lord's table, speak about the covenant relationship that Jesus fulfills, that he's the mediator of a new covenant for you and for me. People of God, let me encourage you to take great encouragement today. From the fact that whatever, wherever we see ourselves in these matters, whatever we see going on in our society, again, take that political example if you want to for, for us, if it would be helpful for you. Jesus is this perfect one, perfectly raised up. Jesus is this perfect one that speaks truth, that speaks, that shines the light of God's truth into our life. And Jesus is this one who fulfills the covenant perfectly for you. And for me. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we are so very thankful for the truths of your word. And we thank you as we come to the end of this uh, last couple of messages in this book of Second Samuel for these uh, words of David that we, r- we really do want to listen to. We feel like we've gotten to know David in a sense and and that he has good things to say to us. And we know that your word has good things to say to us throughout. I want to listen to that. And so, Father, we pray that you would take the things that we've considered today and press them on our hearts in a way that would work uh, your transforming grace and your power. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.